You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word.
Brother Brian, he's missing today in action. He is in action, though, in White Oak at the Baptist Church there, beginning a revival. It's his first revival he's ever preached. So he's nervous, excited, and uh, he's so excited this morning. He was at the Lake Campus. He'll probably preach to 2 or 3 o'clock. Ain't no telling. But um, And also want to remember in prayer, uh, I failed to mention this earlier, Sarah Johnson. Sarah's been going through a lot this week with her health. And so remember uh, Wendy and Dwayne and Sarah's, they're trying to get to the bottom of that. And then also the, the video that you saw was about our shoebox ministry. And I'm so grateful uh, yesterday from 8 to uh, before 11 o'clock, um, able to pack well over 1,000 boxes. That's just amazing. So we're grateful for all that are able to come out and take part in that. But now, just because we pack boxes collectively as a church, that doesn't negate our responsibility individually uh, to pack boxes and make it a family outing. Go to the dollar store and have a shopping spree. It's a wonderful time. And to get to know that those precious children all over the globe will be opening those boxes uh, as you close them. So uh, we're grateful for that ministry. Matthew chapter 6, we come to our final a week and our four-week study. If you remember, if you've been here, the four weeks ago I began as God had led me to this message. I'd worked on it and the message kept on going and going like the Energizer Bunny. And I determined I better not try uh, to preach it all in one sitting. So it became a four-week study at the Soevers of the Scriptures beginning by looking at the whosoever that you and I, above everything else, are the whosoever, the beloved of God, according to John 3, 16. For God so loved the whosoever. And then we looked at whatsoever from Colossians 3, 23, that we're to do our whatsoever heartily as unto the Lord and to examine what is it that God is calling us to do in service. He didn't call us to sit. He called us to serve. Last week, we looked at the why-soever, examining why do we come to church? Why do we sign up on the nominating committee? Why do we want to sing in the choir? And by the way, we could use a few more. Sign up and be, be a participant. Why do we do all the things that we do? Well, today we come and bring it all together with the howsoever. And I believe I might have made that word up, but that's all right. The howsoever's of Scripture. And for that, we turn our attention to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter number 6. And Jesus here speaking boldly, sternly, straight up, not mixing any words. And he says this, verse 1 of Matthew chapter 6, Take heed, that is, be real careful, y'all, that you do not your alms. If you write in your Bible, circle the word alms, it means a righteous deed. Uh, sometimes it means specifically financially giving an alms, giving a, a, a token of charity. But whatever righteous deed we do, whatever we do, it says do not do our alms before others just to be seen of them. Otherwise, you'll have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when, not if, but when you do thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee. That'll make sense in a few moments. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the city streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, truly, Jesus says, they already have their reward. All the reward they're ever going to get, they're going to get it right then and there. But when thou doest thine alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. This morning, it is all about our perspective. It is all about how we go about doing what we do. My prayer is that over the next few moments, God will give us some words of wisdom that will prevent burnout, prevent us from getting discouraged. We're going to talk about some things based on the Word of God in this passage of four verses that are very plain and very true and just as real 2,000 years after Christ spoke the words as they were 
right then. Father, in this time of study, pour out your spirit that you might interpret the word of God through the servant to your people, that we might be faithful in our pursuit of service to thee. Oh God, there's so much that we need to do. But God, I pray that as we do all that we do, we'd have the right perspective. Teach us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Three things I'm going to share with you, and I'm not going to keep you long. I want you to take what, I, what I'll share with you and be able to remember it and commit it to your life as you think about serving the Lord. Number one, we're going to look at what kind of perspectives we need to have. We need to have a heavenly perspective. Everything that we do is between us and God. Secondly, we're going to look at the humble perspective that we must have. And then thirdly, in closing, we'll look at the heartily and the heart felt perspective that we must have as we serve the Lord. Number one, let's look at the heavenly perspective. Verses one and two of this text, Jesus says, now be careful. Be careful when you do your righteous deeds. Now that can pertain to so many things. When you sing in the choir, be careful that you're not singing to impress the congregation. When you serve on a committee, be careful that you're not doing it so that you can just please other people. Be careful when you teach a lesson and that you're not trying to impress people by your intellect. I'm always amazed. I go places and people will get up and man, they just go on and on and on and I'm sitting there in amazement thinking, I wish I understood something about what they were saying. Make sure that everything you do, you're doing it with a heavenly perspective. In other words, when you go into whatever it is you're doing, say, Lord, I want to bring you honor and glory. I don't want to make a name for myself. It's not about my motives or my motivation. It's not about others thinking anything of me, but I want you to be glorified. If you walk out of this service in 20 or 30 minutes and you say, wow, what a preacher. I have failed miserably. But if you walk out of this place and say, wow, what a savior, then I have succeeded. If that makes sense, say amen. Good stuff. I'm telling you, we want to serve and please the Lord. But let's go ahead and get a couple of things out of the way. Jesus is very clear here all throughout the word of God, that we need to beware that we have an enemy. The moment you decide you're going to sign up to, to sing, to serve, to whatever, it is, immediately you make Satan's top 10 list. He's going to come against you. He's going to throw everything he can because he wants to discourage you. He wants to derail you. He wants you to be a very uh, a limited time over uh, only commodity in Christian service. I'll give you two things. Number one, we're going to look at some things we need to be beware of. You know, you've seen the sign, beware of the dog. Listen, when I see a sign that says beware of the dog, I beware of the dog. Amen. And secondly, some things we need to be aware of. Number one, we need to beware of our earthly combatants. The fact of the matter is that we are going to face criticism. We're going to face discouragement. We're going to face the naysayers. Listen, I've said it so many times, but there's only one way to be guaranteed that nobody will gripe about how you do what you do, and that's for you to never do it in the first place, right? You remember when you were a kid, maybe they had games, maybe they didn't. I don't know, maybe you just played with rocks out in the yard, but we had some games. And one of my favorite games of all time was called Operation. If you had an operation game when you were growing up, raise your hand. Wow, this game transcends generation. 
young men like, like Joshua. I mean, these guys even smaller than Joshua. Older gentlemen like Brother Ben back there had these same games, amen? And, and these are so cool. I love the Operation Games. They've toned them down a little bit. The shock is not quite as severe. The nose not so bright and the sound not. Uh, Tiffany thought the batteries were wearing out when I was playing earlier. But, um, but anyway, you remember the Operation Game. And, and the purpose of the Operation Game was to tediously reach inside of the body of this poor soul. I like to call him lucky. I mean, doesn't he look lucky? All these things he's got going on. Even his teddy bear is in trouble. But anyway, and you reach in there very carefully and you've got to pull out the heart and pull out the wishbone and and pull out his butterfly. I didn't even know we had a butterfly. But anyway, and and you've got to be so very careful of this because if you're not really, really careful, and you've really upset lucky, right? Right? Does that make sense? And, and when you try to play this game, you have to have such a steady hand and, 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 and your insides will, will, will tense up. I mean, I mean, you know, like you're riding with your 16-year-old driver for the first time. I mean, you're tense, you know. And, uh, and, and uh, because try as you may, as careful as you are, you're going to make some mistakes and, and you're going to upset things and poor Lucky's going to be all frazzled. I, I was thinking this week as I was preparing for this message and Thinking back over my own ministry, and I think it is pretty cool. I get to begin year 17 today. That's just, I think, really neat. And I'm honored. I really, truly am. But, but I think about how tedious ministry has become. I love pastors, and we spend a lot of time with pastors and have a heart for pastors. And In fact, I have a pastor this morning that may not have a church by the end of the day. My heart is heavy for him. He's a good man. But I think about as pastors and I think about as, as church leaders and as deacons and as teachers and committee members and that if we're not really careful in what we're doing in the church, we'll offend someone, we'll hurt someone, we'll disappoint someone, we'll somehow rub somebody the wrong way, Right? So what ends up happening is we become so tense in our service and so frail in our service, so afraid that we're going to make a mistake that it creates such tension within us that is unhealthy, such tension within us that it's very unprofitable for the kingdom of God or for the church or for ourselves or anybody else. I know many Christians that are living on pins and needles, many pastors that are living on pins and needles. In fact, did you know that nine out of ten pastors that begin the ministry will leave rather than retire? Many of them will leave hurt. Many of them will leave rejected. Many pastors, even today, being voted out because they're not keeping up with the expectations of the people. The fact of the matter is we've grown as a church that I've come to the realization that no matter how hard I try at the end of the week, far more is going to be left undone. And that doesn't suit well with my OCD personality. But that's just life. And let me tell you, whatever it is that you're doing, and I am so grateful, I realize that I make money for being here today. I understand that. You you are, are good to me that you support me so that I can have my ministry and that I can minister to people seven days a week. I am a priest of that. But I look and I think about all of you who week in and week out are here, whether you're working on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights, coming out on Saturdays, practicing for the choir, all the things that you're doing. And I'm thinking they're doing it and they're not receiving a dime of compensation. I realize that what you're doing 
And I pray that what you're doing is directly between you and God. You need to be reminded that there are always going to be people who are going to criticize the way you do it. Jamie, there's half a dozen people in this room that could probably do Awana better than you do Awana. If you don't believe it, I'd probably ask if you Yeah, if I'd do it, I'd do it differently. I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd do it differently, right? Well, come on. Jamie can use the help, you know. You know, there's probably, there's probably one or two pre- think they could preach a better sermon than me this morning. I agree, you probably could. Probably could, could sing better than the choir, can, can do a better job on the building and grounds than they're doing. Listen, beware of earthly combatants. Be aware that you might be one or be aware they just might be after you. 37 times in the New Testament, Jesus said, expect opposition, expect criticism, expect naysayers, expect folks to come against you. In fact, he said, you are blessed when men come against you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice inasmuch as you are a partaker of the divine afflictions of the Lord. Expect criticism. Expect criticism. The the guys here that are on staff, I tell them all the time, it's going to come. If if you think you're going to make everybody happy, good luck. But at the end of the day, God never called us to make everybody happy. Only one should we be desiring to please. Now, we ought not go out of a way to upset people either. Don't get me wrong. By the way, I guess I've been here long enough just to say this. Who does the pastor work for? Thank you, Miss Kitty God. Who does our youth pastor and our associate pastor and our children's minister, our administrative assistant, our secretaries, our janitors, whomever they are, our daycare and day school teachers, who do they work for? Who do our Sunday school teachers, our choir members, our, uh, our committee, who do they work for? And you see, that's a wonderful thing. You should never think you work for me. I should never think I work for you. We work on the same team for the same master. He's our Lord. What a wonderful thought. So together we need to expect criticism. Number two, not only should we expect criticism, now I don't want you to miss this part, we need to also embrace opposition. You say, now wait a minute. Embrace opposition? Embrace somebody coming against me? Embrace somebody disagreeing with me? Listen, there's a verse that every, every Christian leader, every Christian servant needs to get a hold of. It's 1 Corinthians 16, 9. Let, let, let me just give you the history lesson real quick. 1 Corinthians 16, 9. Paul is sitting down. He is in Ephesus. He is writing to Corinth. Ephesus is a tough church. It is a tough place. It is full of busybodies. It is full of carnality. It is full of troublemakers. I mean, it's a tough place to pastor. Corinth, man, is every pastor's dream. Wonderful church, wonderful people, brethren and sisters that loved him. So he sits down and he says, brothers and sisters in Corinth, I wish I could come back to Corinth. I wish I was there with you. I wish I was serving alongside of you. I wish I was in your company. I wish I was fellowshipping with you. But, but, 1 Corinthians 16, 9, for a great door here in Ephesus, a door of effectual ministry in Ephesus is continually being opened to me. But there's more. Because as he's writing, remember he's also writing wanting their prayers. And he says, yet there are many here who oppose me. So what do I say? What do I mean when I say embrace opposition? All throughout the scripture, anytime God was at work, there was always opposition. If we set out to do something and there is no opposition, then we need to worry. Opposition is not an indicator that God's against it. It's an indication that God's behind it. The enemy will not fight something that he knows is not of God, but the enemy will fight kicking and screaming that which is of God. 
This week we got to spend some time with some wonderful pastors and, and, and God's just opened some doors for us to be in the company of folks that have been great sources of wisdom. And I was having a conversation with Mike Witz. Mike is the pastor at First Baptist Church Indian Trail, uh, one of the largest churches in our state that runs 6,000 people on Sunday morning. Amazing pastor, been there 33 years. Can you imagine 33 years? And, and I was talking to him and he's just a real all shucks plain kind of guy. You'd never think he's a mega church pastor to look and talk with him. And I said, Mike, give me some wisdom. Help me out. And he gave us some good words of wisdom, Tiffany and I both. And then he said this, and I never heard this before, but let me just share it with you. He said, here's the deal. He said, every three years in the church, there will be a bully to confront. And every seven years, there will be a battle to conquer. The pastors that were around this round table, every one of them, every one of them except for me, had been at their churches 20 plus years. And they began shaking their heads and agreeing. And I thought, wow, sometimes we just need a reality check that this is going to come. That there are going to be bullies. There are going to be wolves that come amongst the sheep. And they've got to be confronted. They've got to be dealt with. And every seven years, there will be a battle to fight and a victory to win. It's just part of it when you look at the life of Christ everywhere he went. He faced opposition even when he was healing people. that They were questioning his motives. Even when he was speaking to sinners and giving them living water, his closest followers were saying, what is he thinking? Why is he doing that? Remember, Peter stood up against Jesus once and Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. I've got to accomplish my Father's will, which included the cross. Beware of earthly combatants. If you're serving the Lord, they will come. Number two, also be aware of the eternal consequences. When you serve the Lord, you're doing more than just filling a spot spot on the nominating committee form. You're doing more than, than just filling a space in the church. But literally what you're doing can mean the difference in heaven and hell. Most of you are here today because somewhere along the way, somebody invested in your life. For me, it was a, a, a series of ladies who somehow saw something in me and loved me enough to share with me about Jesus and loved me enough to tell me they believed God had a purpose for my life and loved me enough to introduce the gospel and loved me enough to stick with me through the years. You have that influence as well. There will be many of you that will never know this side of eternity, the impact you are having even now on the children you teach, when you go out and play games and run around a funny circle, you're making a difference. When you hold a baby so that their mamas and daddies can be in the services, you're making a difference. When you lead off to the children's church and by the end of that hour you're pulling your hair out, you're making a difference. Whatever you're doing, can I say to you, building committee, looking at a sanctuary, you're making a difference because you're going to make more room For lost souls to enter in and hear thus saith the Lord. You see, it's all about eternal consequences. Everything we do is about eternal consequences. Number two, not only must we have a heavenly perspective, realizing our service is between us and God. Number two, in verse three, it says that we also must have a humble 
perspective. Jesus says it this way. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Sometimes in serving the Lord, we can become our own biggest fan. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says it this way. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but let each esteem others better than themselves. How? The Bible says in lowliness of mind. When I get to the point that I don't look at myself and say, wow, I have arrived. Wow, look at all the things that I'm accomplishing the Lord. Look at all the things. A couple of years ago, I was elected to a position. And and I remember as I walked off that stage, I thought, I have never felt so humbled in my life. I looked out at all of these people and I thought, how many of them are better than I to serve in this capacity? But God has called me and God has allowed me for such a time as this to be that guy. I know it gets tough. On Saturday night when you've had a long week and you're trying to put the finishing touches on your Sunday school lesson and you just wonder, is it worth it all? Oh, friend, it is. Because serving the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he's called you to be his co-labor. Let me give you two things. Number one, beware of personal ambition. What do I mean by that? Personal ambition, that is, well, if I serve on this committee, that might help me to get voted in as a deacon. That's personal ambition. Well, well, if I get up here and sing in the choir and everybody will see me every Sunday, I bet that will impress people, you know? There are people that come to church or get involved for all kinds of reasons, and sometimes it's personal ambition that is to be promoted. And see, that's a pride problem. I want people to think something of me. I want to impress others. It's not about others. It's about yourself. Secondly, not only beware of personal ambition, but beware of being puffed up with pride. In in this text in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus calls them right out. He didn't mix words. He was not politically correct. He just called him right out. He said, beware, don't be like the Pharisees who sound the horn. In other words, you've heard someone say, boy, she really likes to toot her own horn, you know, or, or he really toots his own horn. It is a biblical term. The Pharisees would have a trumpeteer to come and stand on the corner, would blow the trumpet, and then the, and, and then the poor folks, the homeless people, the beggars, the blind, they would come and they would come to the corner and the Pharisees would begin giving out charity, begin giving out their alms. Jesus says, God's not impressed with that. You sounded a trumpet so everybody would acknowledge what you're doing and they would, and, and they would glorify you. You've got all of your reward. By the way, what Jesus told them to do, hey, you take them people to your house and you feed them, you clothe them. They're naked, clothe them. They need help, you give them help. They're hungry, you feed them. They're thirsty, you give them water. That's what you need to do. Beware of being puffed up with pride. Sometimes serving the Lord can create within us a sense of pride, a sense of of arrogance, a sense of accomplishment. Listen, we should be proud in the good sense of the nature of when we do something, do it with everything that we have, take pride in what we're doing. But be careful if pride becomes a motivating force behind what we do. Years ago, a man came to me, not in this church, in another church, and he said, I need to be a deacon in this church. I'm the kind of deacon this church needs. And I thought, brother, you're sure not. There's not a day in my life, and I can say this honestly, and it's just the truth. There's not a day in my life that I've ever felt like I deserved any of the blessings that God's bestowed upon me. I walk in that door, and I see that it says pastor and has my name under it. And I look down, and I think, God, why? God, why would you choose me? And he always says the same thing. I have chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And I say, I get it, God. I get it. We're not worthy of our calling. We're not worthy of whatever God allows us to do. A number of years ago, we were out at the Outer Banks fishing. I'm not much of a fisherman. If I won't fish, I'll go buy a fish at the restaurant. Cut out the middleman. They put it right there on the plate. It's done. 
but I do enjoy it. And I went over there on, on the Outer Banks, and, and they, were, they were pulling in, you know, puppy drum, and they were pulling in flounder, and I just thought, Lord, let me catch something. And I cast out there. I decided if I didn't catch anything this time, I was going to quit casting them shrimp. I was going to start eating them, you know. And so I cast that, that shrimp out there on that hook, and all of a sudden, I got me a big one. I knew it had to be a shark or a marlin or a motorboat or something. I wasn't sure what it was. That thing took off, and I was holding on it finally. I finally got a hold of it, and, and I'd reel him in and get him almost ashore, and he'd get another breath and take off again. And, and man, I fought that thing for about an hour, and finally I pulled him up. That was, uh, he was about that big. And I didn't know what he was. I'd never seen such an ugly fish. I thought maybe I'd caught a one-of-a-kind, some kind of, you know, natural phenomenon. I wasn't sure. And I walked over there to him, and he was puckering up like he wanted to kiss me. And I looked at that fish in the eye, and I thought, what are you? You're ugly. That's what you are. And all of a sudden, I reached down to pick up that fish, and he started puffing up, and he started blowing up. And I hollered, watch out, y'all. I think he's going to blow. You know, I wasn't sure what was going on. And these prickly, thorny things started poking out, and he kept getting bigger and bigger, and his skin got tighter and tighter. I didn't know what he was. And somebody finally walked over and laughed at me and the fish and said, that's just an old toadfish, an old blowfish. I looked at him, and I said, do you know how silly you look? You little bitty runt of a fish and you're trying to blow up like you're somebody. You're trying to blow up like you're the, the king of the universe, like you're going to do something to hurt me. And I think back through my life at the times that I've been puffed up, how ridiculous I must have looked from an eternal perspective. Oh, I was somebody. Friend, beware of being puffed up with pride. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. I'm thankful for the calling. I'm thankful that God has chosen me to be His servant. But there's not an ounce of worthiness within me. Number three, and I'm done. Have a heavenly perspective. It's between me and God. Have a humble perspective. I don't want a glory save in the cross. Number three, it's a heartily perspective. It's a hearty perspective, if you will. The Bible says, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as in the Lord. Well, how do I do that? Let me give you this and I'm done. How can I, preach? I want to serve heartily, but I'm really struggling. Number one, it's a matter of sincerity. It's a matter of sincerity. You can't fake it. I don't watch a lot of TV. Most of what I do is black and white. But the other week I was flipping through and I saw this program that said married at first sight. And I thought, well, that ought to be interesting. Wonder what that's all about, you know? Beats watching naked people climb through the woods and get bit by snakes. What kind of mess is on TV these days? Anyway, and there was these two people they'd never met. Never met. They agreed to get married. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to marry somebody that married me on the first. I mean, they ain't got much smarts if they're going to marry me right off like that. But anyway, and, and I watched just about just a few minutes of it because I figured it'd make a good sermon illustration at some point. And they began talking and they said, well, we figured that we could learn to love one another. And I thought, well, what are you going to do till you get to that point? I guess we're just going to fake it, you know? I mean, when you stand there and say, I do, you're just faking it. When you stand there and say, there's love, I'm just faking it. And I wonder how difficult that must be. Folks that maybe they're not truly born again. 
There's no sincerity in their relationship with the Lord, and, but I'm trying to fake it. I'm trying to sing the songs. And, and, when, and when that person beside me and they come to that word that says Zion, I don't even know what Zion means. And they're waving their hands and saying glory. I just don't understand it. I just don't get it. Why? Because there's no sincerity in your relationship. But maybe we are truly saved, but there's no sincerity in our serving because we're not serving as God has led us to serve. God made you unique, an individual character that's one of a kind. Sincerity is about being saved and then serving the Lord as He has called you to serve, not as you want to serve. Sometimes He'll call you out of your comfort zone. Sometimes He'll call you to do things and you'll scratch your head and you'll think, Who, me? Who, me? When He lays it on your heart to serve Him with everything you got, it'll be sincere. It won't be near as difficult as you think. But if you're trying to do something out of his will, it will be very difficult. Number two, not only is it a matter of sincerity, in closing, it is a matter of sacrifice. Did you know this? Anytime Jesus called someone to follow him in service, it always cost them something. He said, you'll, mother and father will have to leave them. He said, you won't have a place to lay your head like the foxes and the birds do. He said, you'll have to leave your fishing nets, you know, the security of your job. You'll have to leave your fishing boat. You'll have to leave it and take up your cross and follow me. If you're going to serve the Lord, I'm just going to tell you, it's going to cost you something. I would never tell you for a minute that if you'll just sign up to serve the Lord, it'll be great. No, it'll be no problems. It'll be easy. Uh, what is it, easy peasy? Is that what the fellow over in Moldova kept saying? Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. I like that. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. That's what it's going to be like serving the Lord. Everything's going to be great. Everybody's going to love you. They're going to pat you on the back. They're going to tell you how good a job you did. They're going to put your name on a plaque, tell you the best. Oh, it's going to be great. No, it's probably not going to be that way. It's probably not. Sometimes I think there needs to be like a, a time of um, apprenticeship when it comes to serving the Lord. I say this, I'm done. Over the years, I've probably 20 different times, I've known young ladies and young men that they want to be a teacher. And they go off, they get their education to be a teacher, they get their, their certificate, all the different things, and then, whatever, and then they'd go into student teaching, you know, that time of, of preparation. And they'd say, uh-oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Sometimes they go into nursing the same way, whatever it might be, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Listen, can I tell you? It's not as glamorous as it sounds, this thing of, ser- this thing of serving the Lord. Years ago, someone told me, they said, I think I'd like to be a mortician. I said, really? Are you? I said, you ever been in the back room of a funeral home? No, but I think I'd really be good at it. I think I'd really like it. I'm going to go to get my education. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to go up to faith. They'd already checked into the education, how to do it. I said, well, I said, well how about doing this? I said, meet me over to funeral home, and I'm going to take you in the back and see, see, let you, show you around, show how everything works. And they said, okay, it'd be great. They met me over there. I opened the door. They took one step in the embalming room and said, oh, and they walked away. They never went in the embalming room again. They realized real quick they didn't have the stomach for it. Can I ask you something? Have you got the stomach for it? Because it ain't always easy. Thank you. Four weeks. The soevers of Scripture. I hope you learned something. I hope God will call you and will challenge you. Not just to sit, but to serve Him in spite of the consequences in spite of the critics. He deserves our best.